Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade. Helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. Hello, listeners. Howdy. How are we doing today? Well, I'm well. How are you, listener? <laughs> You're well, so it doesn't matter what anybody else is feeling, eh? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Except for, uh, I'm going to get in trouble for mentioning this, but you've got a dressing on your Oh, on thanks your for head. telling everyone. I do. <laughs> Great big white thing on it, my nose. It looks like you, uh, you headbutted the builder. It does. I might have. <laughs> I might have gotten a bit cross. <laughs> what, what's that called? The um, In the UK, what do they call that? Builder Manchester age. Kiss or something? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd try and say that with an accent, and it's probably I didn't mean to do that. But today's guest has yeah, a bit of an accent. Segue. I like it. Well <laughs> he, done. He is from. I think he said he's from the Midlands around Birmingham or somewhere. Uh, what's the source? Uh, Worcestershire. Yes. From Except near he there. said it. He said it different. He, well, maybe Worcester. it wasn't the same. Worcester. Yeah, I don't know. No. Anyway, um, today's podcast guest is a bit of a legend, actually, um, and I've been looking forward to this interview. Interview. <laughs> I've been looking forward to being able to speak properly. I've been looking forward to this real treaty. Oh, okay. Did you do if that If I on was purpose? smart, I would just stop recording and edit all that, but I'm going to leave it there for everybody's entertainment. Oh, human. Coxie, take over, please. No, you got it. You're nailing it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you finish this out because you've got it. You're going to make me do it. I am. Spoken like a true mother of teenage kids. <laughs> All right, so today's guest, James Hill, legend, um, doing some amazing stuff in the mental health space. Um, we talk a bit about suicide prevention here on the show. We do. And uh, Coxie and I have both done a fair bit of work in that area in our own uh, respective fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but today's episode is more about mental health and just just the day-to-day um, normal challenges that a lot of us face mm. with mental health, quote-unquote. So, um, James is a speaker for Beyond Blue. Um, he's a mental health first aid instructor. I love that. Yeah, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Mental it's health really first aid. Cool. Come here, was I'll stick a Band-Aid on your noggin, mate. You'll be right. <laughs> um, he's a, a suicide safe talk instructor, um, and he's a mental health advocate for Energy Queensland, where he actually works. And then that's his role. That's his job. It's amazing um, to think that there are corporations out there beginning to think for, about who's working for them. They're thinking yeah. forwardly rather than reactively. And the reactively. welfare of those people. Exactly. Thank and you. That's the word I was looking for. You're welcome. I got my, I got my mouth back. <laughs> uh, and Energy Queensland has, he does mention in the episode, but it's thousands of employees. Mm. So uh, great to see that they're actually investing money and in taking care of their workers. Um, and so James obviously shares his own uh, mental illness experience in this episode. Um, and he's super passionate about... I guess raising awareness, but also destigmatizing mental illness. So um, we're we're pretty fortunate to chat to James. He actually recently won uh, an award. Um, so he actually won the Jeff Sheverton Individual Award for w- his work in mental health. Um, it's quite amazing, so isn't it? Recognised throughout Queensland, and that was in um, um, Mental Health Week, mm. which was recently as well. Um, if you're listening to this episode in real time. Um, so, James is a POM, but he's an Aussie now because he's got his citizenship. He is an Aussie. Uh, he was a POM, now he's an Aussie. He picks heavy things up and puts them down again like <laughs> me. 
Um, he does a bit of art and he's just an all-round really nice guy, a actually. lovely man. He's a really cool guy. So enjoy this one with, uh, with James Hill, our Real Tradie Guys episode for this week. So we're joined today by the mildly famous James Hill for our Real Tradie Guys. Welcome to the podcast, James. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Only mildly famous? How do we determine somebody's fame? <laughs> well, I think if you if you haven't got like an Oscar or a Grammy or something, you're probably not truly famous. Oh, okay. So the rest of us are just mildly, mildly famous. famous. Yeah, it's like I was I was in the car park uh, last night with my wife. We grabbed a few things at the grocery store. And I was reversing the car into a space and I said, Oop, better make sure I don't run over the, the pregnant woman. And uh, and as she walked past, I said, actually, she's very pregnant. But I don't know that there's really a scale. Like, you're either pregnant or you're not. It's not like you're only mildly pregnant or mildly famous. I'm not sure. Anyway, I'll stop talking I'll, shit. I always, get, I always get wary about saying stuff like, just in case someone's not pregnant. Yes. <laughs> no, she was she was beyond all shadow of a doubt very pregnant. <laughs> but you're not pregnant, James. So, uh, mate, welcome to a real tradie guys episode. You're obviously uh, a tradie, uh, or you have been in your lifetime, mate. Um, now we we read your bio out, but they're usually pretty uh, sanitised. So give us the real backstory to to Mr. James Hill. Yeah. Okay. Well, as you say, yeah, tradie. So look, I um I left school at the age of. 15 to uh, start my apprenticeship um, I suppose school and academia wasn't really for me um, but yeah so I, you know that was that was quite a number of years ago now but yeah I went into the um, well it was Sparky is my trade so um, I sort of brought up in that industry for you know, the last 25 years have been been in and around that so yeah that's pretty much where I, I cut my teeth and, and and grew up basically in that trade. And you obviously did that in uh, in Brisbane, mate, based on your accent. <laughs> yeah, a little, just a little bit further north. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now look, it's from England, obviously. Um, but yeah, so I was in a place called Worcester in the, in the Midlands near Birmingham, and um, yeah, look, I pretty much spent all those uh, those years on construction sites and. Uh, that was, you know, when, when we sort of lead into, I suppose, a little bit of my journey of where I'm at now, that was probably one of the, the key things of, of, I suppose, what shaped me was that whole upbringing in that tough industry. And what prompted the move to Australia, mate? Um, well, look, I, we had a couple of kids there. Um, they were one and three when we moved. But I just kind of looked at, I wanted to give them a, a a bit more of a, a lifestyle where they could be, out, you know, near near the beach is ideal, you know, because you'd, mm. you'd say spend a whole bunch of time waiting to get get a holiday once every two years. There's got to be more to life than this, so we just thought, well, let's give it a try, and if it doesn't work out, well, we'll just come back. Must have been a big daunting move. I when I stopped to think about moving my entire family across. Such a long distance, I get quite nervous. Was it really hard for you? And and then how did that translate to your work and what you do and how different it was from one country to another? Um, yeah, look, now I think back now, I'm like, holy heck, how did I do that? But um, Because I was look, I was running my own business over there, contracting, electrical contracting, so I was doing all right, you know. I was earning you know, reasonable money and I was pretty busy. Um, and then, yeah, just to jump on a plane, 
come here, no job, no house, no nothing, and just go, well, see what happens. Yeah, now I look back, I go, geez, I don't know if I can do that again. But, <laughs> um, I suppose I was a bit younger back then, you know, yeah. it was like 13 years ago. So, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was pretty daunting. I mean, work wise, you know, electricity is it's the same voltage, it's the same stuff. It, it sort of transferred across. Um, and if anything, probably. I don't know, a, li- a little bit more forward in, in a lot of the stuff over there in sort of Europe than, than when I got here because I was like, oh, geez, you only just got these things in and you know, I've been using them since I was an apprentice. So. <laughs> what are you saying? Australians are a bit backward, James. Just a little slow. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm insinuating that, but I'm not saying have you got, that. Have you got your citizenship yet, mate? Cause, uh... <laughs> I'm enough, so now I'm an Australian, so I'm quite happy with that. Okay, we can tie you with the same brush. We can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mate, um, I'm, I'm sort of going to jump ahead a little here. You recently won uh, an award um, for, I guess, for your work in a particular area, and it's not uh, electrical. Uh, did did oh. you ever win any, any awards for your electrical work, mate? Uh, no, no, I certainly didn't. You weren't, you weren't an award-winning electrician, but uh, um. you're certainly doing some amazing stuff in the mental health space. Uh, tell, us, tell our listeners a bit more about that, James. Yeah, so yeah, I recently won as the Jeff Sheverton um, Individual Award at the Queensland um, Awards Week for you know the Mental Health Commission um, Open Minds Awards Week. Um, so that was for individual contribution to to mental health, so the stuff that I kind of do on a day to day basis, and you know, insider work and outsider work. Mm. And we're also fortunate enough, um, so I work for Energy Queensland to win the Large Workplace Award as well. And that's based on the work that myself and a colleague of mine, Aaron, do um, in our role at, at Energy Queensland, basically. Well, well done, mate. Uh, that's that's a fantastic recognition of the work that you do. And um, you and I actually uh, were in the same course a couple of years ago now, I think, uh, doing some suicide intervention training. Uh, but mate, for our listeners' benefit, what the heck is it that you do in that mental health space? You know, and and what is it that you think uh, I guess contributed to you getting that recognition, both for you and your, and your workplace? Yeah, so I suppose well, when I try and define what I do, geez, I struggle myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but look, um, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> so we can probably gone back in a little while just to understand how I got to the point that I got to. But as far as my job goes, a couple of years ago, um, we were fortunate enough that the CEO listened to what we had to say, um, myself and Aaron, um, about doing things differently, I suppose, with regards to mental health in the workplace. And um, they created a role for us as mental health advocate. So for a number of years prior to that, we were sort of looking at how – things were dealt with in workplaces and, and I'm not saying we were doing things badly, but we just thought maybe we could do things differently um, from a lived experience perspective, mm. just training out on the ground, sharing a story and, and looking at how to help people, how to help the business change um, the way we do things. So look, my job day to day, as I say, is mental health advocate. So pretty much travel all around. So we've got seven and a half thousand staff across the state of Queensland and, um, travel around just just delivering education training um putting together like strategies plans for how we actually deal with education around mental health mental illness and um 
yeah, basically just, just having good conversations, you know, from a lived experience perspective, from a trade perspective, and just understanding what the challenges are and what we can do differently. And then, yeah, outside of work, um, I work for Beyond Blue as a, as a speaker. I've done that for a number of years now. Um, and again, that is just to try and raise some awareness and education around mental illness. Um, and particularly, you know, it's close to my heart with guys, traders, um, just from my own experience, you know, that was probably my biggest undoing. And I, I really want to use what I've been through to try and help others. Mm. So you, you mentioned uh, what you've been through, James. Is, is it, uh, you know, too much to ask? to unpack that a little bit again just so people understand i suppose how you've uh, arrived at this point absolutely yeah look, look look i'm happy to talk about it um so i suppose i'll have to go back a little while just to give you a bit of context um so you can understand me as a person and how, how my mind was set so like I, as a youngster growing up um for those early years of my life probably the first 10 11 years of my life um, didn't really have a father around as a as a permanent figure in my life so my grandfather was the only sort of um, real um, static sort of male role model now his generation obviously went through the war very tough um, so when I look at him that's what a, a man's supposed to be you know mm-hmm. not too much emotion out of him mm-hmm. never never ever in my life saw him cry mm-hmm. you know I've always seen him get angry always happy get lucky joking around so I thought, well, this, this is this is what a man is. That was ingrained in me. And then, of course, you know, you watch your TV, all your heroes are just saving the day. You never see them sad or yeah, yeah. sad. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, that was ingrained in me without knowing that that's, that's what a man was. And then, as I said earlier on, I left school, you know, I was still a teenage, you know, youngish sort of boy when I left school, still 15 years old. And, um, uh, straight out into a trade and you know they're all older guys you know the guys that sort of brought me up through my electrical apprenticeship a lot of them were sort of in their you know 50s now and i look at that and i go now it's not old because i'm nearly there but you know it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and they were all guys but you know they were again with, with that tougher generation so we didn't i never saw anybody everyone was always joking around or mm. you know the only two emotions i saw was was joking and, and anger when people get wound up and that mm. was it. yeah yep so that was pretty much what shaped me to to understand, and I knew nothing about mental illness, not one single thing. Like I, my understanding of it was it didn't happen to people like me; it happened to people with real problems, real issues, you know. And that that was it. So I was very ignorant to it. But now I look back, you know, I pretty much had mental illness pretty much all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to suffer really badly with anxiety. Didn't know it was anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to just avoid situations and, and st- now I look back I used to see how I used to avoid things when I used to get social anxiety pretty bad so I used to make sure I drank heaps before I went out that used to help <laughs> yep. um, you know and uh, and I used to get all the tightening in my chest and I used to think that was indigestion so I used to smash down those antacid tablets like they were lollies mm. didn't fix it you know and um, looking back that was you know it was pretty pretty bad anxiety now when I moved to Australia I secured a job with um, with Energex, um, working on the electricity distribution. I was doing all right, you know, on the surface. You're looking, live by the beach, you know, a wife, two kids, good job. Career moved on, you know, I worked my way up the ladder a bit to like a supervisor. So I was um, looking after a, a few traders. But then things started to unravel behind the scenes. But I didn't understand it. 
you know, I didn't know that I was going through depression now. And, and you know, as things have moved on, I understand I have like a mood disorder, you know, where, where I do have highs and lows and, and things like that. So yep. the time, you know, I look back and I see all the signs and the symptoms now, very easy to notice. But when you're living it and when you don't understand it, you don't know. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it started off, you know, gradually. It, it might have been not sleeping for a while or I'd rerun the day a hundred times through my head. Mm. Catastrophizing it, you know, like <laughs> I want to do something in the morning and I think, oh, well, they'll think this of me. And, and if, then they'll tell them and then they'll tell my boss and I'll lose my job and then I'll lose my house, my wife, my kid. <laughs> so yes. yeah. every scenario goes back to the worst case scenario. And um, so it's sort of with that, the sleep was sort of getting affected. And, Lower sort of moods. Um, I, used to, I used to go to the gym. I still do go to the gym every day and train. But I noticed that I was struggling, you know, at the gym. The weights felt really heavy. I'd get, you know, we do a lot of workouts. I do CrossFit training. So, you know, there's a lot of competition environment. And um, that used to get in my head. So I just, I'd find some days I'd walk to the gym and just couldn't even walk through the door. And I couldn't go in. Mm. Um, things were spiraling pretty badly. But on the surface, Nobody would have known. No. You yep. know, I kept kept that happy face. Yep. You know, and that, and that was it. Or I might the two emotions I knew were were happy or angry. You know? Yeah. And that was all I knew. So I was either in a bad mood or I was joking around, but never any emotions. You know, and this went on for, for months and months, getting worse and worse. Um, I started drinking a fair bit more just to try and, I suppose, numb that that whole feeling of um of worthlessness i suppose um and the, the fatigue was was creeping in you know I'd go to work a few hours later i'd have to go drive down and have a sleep because i just couldn't physically stay awake and um almost it was got to a point where i looked, felt like i was living my life like looking through a window mm. i could see it going on around me but I, I just had no energy to even do anything and um but subconsciously in my head i'm thinking you're having some kind of breakdown or something but then i'm going well that doesn't matter to people like me yeah, that's that's not me, um, and I suppose that's where it led to you know the point where I was contemplating suicide. You know, that was the only option I could see on the table. The world would be better without me. You know, the work would be better without me because they'd have a, a boss who was better than me, mm. or what? Probably find a better husband. You know, who could provide better or do better. The kids would have a better. Day. All these things were in my head, and I believed it. Truly believed it. Yeah. Um, and look, you can believe in and higher powers, whatever you, whatever you want. Um, but I think sometimes things happen for a reason. And, um, for me, that was, that was when Beyond Blue came into my life because I was at that moment of rock. Mm. Um, I'm thinking about my plan. I was sitting down on some rocks, uh, near the beach. And for some reason, I just put my phone on and you know, when those adverts come up and I get them now, I might think about, <laughs> Buying something and I love it. Going, how do they know? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> They're listening right now, mate. <laughs> yeah. But this, I'm glad somebody was on the same wavelength. But anyway, I put my phone in this advert came from Beyond Blue. And it was kind of like a um, take the test, um, like a man therapy sort of thing they had, a campaign they were running yeah, yeah. for, for blood. Yep. Um, and it was around depression, uh, well, depression and anxiety. And, and I thought to myself, it just came up. Uh, you know, when I was at that point thinking about my plan and I went, right, this isn't what's happening, but just to shut you up, basically shut myself up. I'm going to answer these questions honestly, because then that's out of the picture mm. and then I can carry. 
So I did. I, I did. I answered, and answered them honestly. Um, and you get a result straight away, straight back. And it pretty much said, you know, you need to see medical help you know, pretty soon, mm. straight away. Mm. You know, so now I've got two options on the table. So I, was, I sort of thought about it for um, a couple of days. You know, I didn't just go, oh, okay, well, I'll go to the doctor because <laughs> what do you say? Mm. Well, walking the doctor, I look at myself. There's nothing wrong with me. When I look in the mirror, I look healthy. So I don't want to waste the doctor's time. Um, so I did sit on it for a couple of days, but I was that numb inside. I just, I just found myself, you know, sitting in the doctor's surgery. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm here now. I could have walked out so many times when I was in there, but I had the energy. Mm-hmm. Just looking around, you know, there's real sick people in there, people with real problems, not me, as so I thought. Um, but look, uh, that was the start of my recovery, and I'm thankful for it. Because as soon as I walked in that doctor's surgery, I was in the office there and I said, look, I don't really know why I'm here. Um, I did this test thing and this is what it said. I need to see you. And he was he was so supportive. He said, look, yeah, I understand this is what's going on. You know, you're not the first one through the door. You probably won't be the last, but there is hope. You know, and that was the start then of, of me on my recovery journey. Now, I suppose what inspired me to do what I do at work came from that because the doctor said, look, you probably don't need to be at work. That's not helping, you know, your situation at the moment. You probably need a break from that while we work on getting you right. So he gave me a, a, a sick note, you know, a, a doctor's cert. Yep. Now, as you will probably know, if you get that, it doesn't really say why you're off. It just says James is unfit for work from X date to Y date. Yep. So um, I went into work to give him a sick note to say I wasn't going to be in. But I didn't tell him exactly why. So I made up a story that there was something physically wrong with me because I felt a lot more comfortable mm. saying that than the real reason. Yeah. And that, once I was sort of in a, a better headspace, you know, the following year, then I looked back on that and went, well, why is that so? Mm. Why should I have to be ashamed of having an illness that, you know, it's just an illness? And how come I'm more comfortable making something up? And doing that, and mm-hmm. that was sort of what inspired me then to try and make that change. But, but that was that's sort of, I suppose, in a, in a nutshell, my story of how I got into the world of mental health. Um, because I look back at, I started working for Beyond Blue from that because I, I know I was well. I feel like I owe that organisation my life mm-hmm. um, because I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't have come across that when I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at. I don't want to see anybody else sitting on them rocks. So if I can do as much as I can to help educate people, share some awareness, and break that stigma around all this stuff, you know, we're not going to stop people getting ill, but we're going to increase the awareness so people understand what it is, mm. where they can go for help, what help's available out there, pathways to help because it's a journey. You know, you don't just get better and that's it. You know, I still have issues you know now regularly you know but i know how to recognize it and what to do with it so that's why it mm. kind of inspires me to do what i do um i started study as well so uh, yeah took a degree in in psychology because i figured um well, maybe i could fix myself <laughs> <laughs> once Typical a trainee always yeah. a trainee <laughs> i'll fix it myself since switched actually to counseling um, it's a lot more. It's a lot more practical for mm. me. Um, more 
hands-on, let's say, as a, from a trade perspective, you yes. know, but you're actually give you the skills to actually have conversations and help support people better. Yeah, yeah, yep. James, I'm really interested and I think it's an important question for our listeners to hear the answer to. Did you ever share any of what you were going through with your wife? Not really. So, you know, it, it's kind of, and that comes down to that male sort of mm-hmm. ego sort of thing. You know, I've been with my wife for a very long time. We've been together since we were teenagers, you know, so she knows me inside and out. Mm. I didn't want to be seen as, you know, I'm the fixer. You know, if something's broken in the house, I'll fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids break, I'll fix it. If there's something wrong with the car, yep, I can fix it. Yeah, that's what I do as mm-hmm. a, as a as a bloke. That's what I saw my role as. So for me to actually admit that I was broken w- would be a failure for me. Mm. So I kept it, you know, pretty well hidden from her. I mean, I suppose what she did see was the the moods, you know, the sadness or the the, the anger when it was to get wound up. Um, when I used to sort of drink, I'd sort of rock myself off on a on a weekend and stuff, but not when everyone was around, you know, I'd sort of have a few drinks and when people were in bed. You know, then I'd knock the top off the off the bourbon or whatever and, and just sit and put that away. Um, but yeah, again it comes down to that pride and that sense of a shame, I suppose. It comes comes with it that's ingrained in me. I've got to be honest, that's the exact answer I was looking for because I know you know, just talking to tradie wives, to tradies themselves, I know that they're not sharing that part of their journey. They are afraid. There's too much stigma. And we've got lots of wives that we're talking to regularly who are telling us they're seeing those kinds of signs and they don't understand them. And I guess I just wanted to voice that so that, you know, that gives a bit of of awareness that maybe our husbands or our partners are struggling and we need to help them find some help. So, mm-hmm. That was really the answer I was looking for. The other thing I wanted to unpack a little bit with you, if I could, is your what anxiety felt like or looked like for you because I think, again, like mm. you voiced earlier, there's a lot of men and women who don't actually understand that what they're feeling is anxiety. Hmm. Yeah, so, like, I mean, obviously there's the the psychological side of things, so the thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, the generalising and the catastrophizing of things, you know, if I do this, this, then that, then this. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on is, is the thought side of it. I suppose, is watch where your thoughts are taking you. Mm-hmm. Was it based on fact or is it based on on just – because that's what the brain does. It goes worst case scenario as a protective factor, you know. Yeah. But it's just the, the whole – what I used to get is a lot of, um, like I say, social anxiety. So I've worked – very hard on that even as recently as you know in the last 12 months Mm -hmm. to actually be able to go out and sit down in a restaurant or or somewhere have some food on my own because i travel a lot with work now i have to do that but Mm -hmm. you know thought that i couldn't as crazy as it sounds but just walk into somewhere and order a coffee because I, i feel like i don't know if i'll get something wrong then I'll get judged, and, mm. you know, and it, it always comes down to is that people are, are judging me and I mm. don't want to be seen as anything perfect. Yes. It's so ridiculously common. I mean, we, Coxie and I talk to so many tradies and, and we are fortunate to work with a, a small handful of them, I guess, um, and particularly the guys – there's all this bravado and, and like you, James, you know, you you lift weights, you got tattoos, you know, from from an outward appearance, there's all these 
together men, you know, yes. they're all, they're, they're tough and they're strong and they're confident and all this sort of stuff, you know, they're builders or sparkies or, or even accountants, like it doesn't really matter what the profession is, but um, when you scratch just a little bit below the surface, so many of us men have been so worried about what everybody thinks about us mm. for so long and it's so bloody ridiculous and yet, it it's it's real. It's a real thing. I, I had, you know, similar stuff as a young bloke, right through even till now. You know, I'm in my forties, and while it's it's a lot better than it was before, and I and I've you know done a lot of work to manage it and and I guess accept it. I still have that little twinge sometimes when I'm out in social settings, and I, I posted recently about networking. Yeah, um, you know, I was at a networking event. <laughs> James, is, James is shaking his head for the listeners that uh, all aren't, aren't watching yes. the video version of this. But um, <laughs> there was 200 people there, and and I literally take my wife as my security blanket because mm. you know I I enjoy public speaking. I like being on stage as the one guy in front because that's that's my thing, right? Um, yep. You know, I can pull on the, you mentioned earlier, James, that sort of, you know, you pull on the, the armor or the, or the costume and that works for me. But to actually be in the crowd mingling, I hate it. I can't stand yep. it. So it's so How very, very common. It is. It's bizarre. Like, I, you know, you, you tread in the same path as me. And, and even to this day, right now, I still struggle with how I'm trying yeah. to get better. <laughs> you know, two weeks ago, we were speaking at a, at a conference at the exhibition center in front of 450 people didn't bat an eyelid didn't yeah. worry me one single yep come off the stage and then like you say does that network and people want to come what do i do with my hands what do i say yeah. and i'm just trying to find a, a corner to go yes hide and yeah so I, look i still i still battle with that um and the more i'm doing you know, a lot more public speaking, a lot more events and things. That's great, that side of it. But like you said, the networking side of it, I still struggle with. And, and I think it comes down to that judgment of, like mm. you said, when you're on a stage, people are looking at you for that purpose. You're speaking about this topic. Awesome. When I'm just being me talking about just general, mm. then all of a sudden, oh, now the, the guard's down. Yeah, people may be able to see mm. the real me. Mm. Yeah, Is that yeah. something I want to see? Yep, yep. And look, it's different for, for different people. Um, something I wanted to ask, James, is because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fantastic work being done by a lot of organizations. I'm noticing there's a lot of talk about suicide and suicide prevention and suicide stats. And, and while that is a, you know, that's sort of the end game that mm-hmm. we absolutely need to be doing as much as we possibly can as a community, as an industry to um, protect people, I guess, from that and and catch them uh, so that we can turn them. But before that, um, there's a whole, I think, a a much bigger opportunity to impact people. And I feel like the discussion around suicide sometimes distracts the conversation from mental health and what it is, you know, and even our our little conversation here about anxiety and, and, you know, being at a networking group, the number of tradies I know that won't go to networking because it freaks them out. Um, To me, that is a sign that there is something there that has an opportunity to be talked about and and not allowed to turn into something greater. Um, Yeah. What's what's your take on that, mate? Absolutely, 100% on the money. So, um, we've put together our sort of, I suppose four to five year strategy for our organisation now. Now we've 
we've targeted, we started with the suicide prevention, um, partnered up with Mates in Construction. Obviously, I know that you've had Justin yeah, yeah. on and a bit about them. We sort of piloted the um, Mates in Energy for the energy industry. So mm-hmm. we've started with the suicide prevention, but what is very passionate for me is exactly what you say. It's that broader understanding. We want to prevent people to get to that, that point absolutely mm. 100%. Mm. We don't just want to be stood at that gate trying mm. to stop people when they're there because that's you know that's not the easiest place to be helping people. No. And we're very resourced in that space. Mm. So yep. we need to move outwards, I suppose. So you know what we've, we've developed some stuff at work um, and I'm doing externally is just trying to create just high level to begin with. You don't need to go right into, uh, you know, I do mental health first aid courses i'm a facilitator for that that's an awesome course but mm. it's two days mm. and sometimes people don't have two days you know and it is a great investment but i get that some people can't invest that but how do we shorten that down just so that people have just a general awareness yeah of what mental illness looks like and what are some effective interventions where you can go how you recognize it when you recognize it what can you do about it so i'm trying to i'm sort of building some of that stuff but then more broader than that moving outside from there before we even get there how do we keep the, the people who are well at the moment how do we keep them well yeah, yeah. Our lives to keep us in a good spot and recognize when we are compromising those things that keep us well mm. you know why are we compromising it and where that could lead to so you know obviously i don't need to harp on too long there's a lot of research around it but you know things like mindfulness exercise you know your, your nutrition your food and, and sleep Four key things there. Mm. Really, you know, I talk about non-negotiable things that you shouldn't negotiate on those. Mm. And often when life gets busy, when life gets hectic, we sacrifice those things. And they're the very things that are core to keep us well. So we're very passionate about the well-being side of things before we get to the pointy end of the stick. Because those those things really, um, you know, we talk about these big, strong men. Those things like sleep and nutrition and mindfulness – keep us as big, strong men um, so that we can deal with life's challenges. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't mean to be sexist or genderist. I don't know what the, the 2019 term for that is <laughs> these days. But, <laughs> um, but But blokes have this bloody ridiculous hard exterior shell that we create and inside can be, you know, melted marshmallow and, oh, and yeah. just complete turmoil mm. Uh, and and it's a paradigm that guys like you, James, and and so many are working so hard to maybe not change it because I don't think that will ever change. But I think it's no. it's uh, allowing it to be seen as as you know common and and almost normal that you would feel like you know a, a thick shake inside despite the hard exterior. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said. It's hard to influence that because I know, you know, it's been a little while since I've been on a, on a construction site in a few years now, but if I would have turned up with a salad, <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> whereas now, that's what I eat. I eat healthy yes. food, you know, but if I would have turned up, you know, with, with healthy, like a, a lunchbox with all healthy stuff, and I'd have come about it, you know, they would have just been <laughs> on me. If I said, I'm just going to whip off to the van for, you know, 20 minutes, just do a bit of meditation. Oh, jeez. Like, you, know, you just yeah. wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm trying to change is, is why not? Yeah. This is good. For, this is what prevents, is, you know, it's a, 
build those things in, they, they are a, a preventative lock for the risk factors for developing mental illnesses, you know, if we mm. can build some of this stuff in. It it seems, um, for want of a better term, crazy to me that uh, we point the finger at our businesses or at the economy or at you know money stress or our marriages or our kids or whatever it is as the reason why we're stressed and angry and, and burned out when sometimes it can be as simple as those things that you said. And I want to get some tips from you, James, for people listening uh, that maybe have, have gone geez, that sounds a bit like what I've been experiencing mm. lately. Um, it can be as simple as changing what you stick in your pie hole, um, changing yep. how you sleep and, and your sleep habits and screen time and that sort of stuff, and you know, getting a bit of that mindfulness, uh, whatever that looks like for the individual, can actually reduce the impact of those external factors so incredibly, um, and yet it's not... I still don't feel like it's being talked about enough no no it's not and that's why that's like i said that's where my passion lies at the moment um as much as i want to prevent suicide as much as i want to help with mental illness i don't like immersing myself in that day in day out because it's not healthy for me either yeah to to be in that world day in day out and and so i have to fill my cup elsewhere um and that's where it's talking about well-being sort of stuff so those four key pillars that i talk about there to help me, I developed it. I just call, I call it MENS, so M-E-N-S, so mindfulness, exercise, nutrition, sleep. Hmm. That's what I call it, you know. And I mentioned it to my teenage daughter, and um, she was like, you know, that's, that's awesome. Really like the sound of that, but, you know, MENS is a bit, you know, doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you think? You know, you call it what you want, but those are the sort of key elements. You mm. said, what about if I work on those four things? Now it's women's. Awesome. I love it. I was wondering how you're going to do that, mate. That's very well done. It's cross gender, and and I have to give her credit for that every time I mention it. But those are the the, the four key elements. And and like I say, you don't need to go crazy, you know. Like, so mindfulness, I wouldn't have even dreamt of it, you know, a few years ago um, because I didn't, I thought it was for weirdos and hippies, you know. Mm. But, you know, it, it can be as simple as I've got five minutes. I'm feeling a little bit stressed. Like you were saying, you know, you get that stress. Okay, what can I do? I go on YouTube and I can type in five-minute mindfulness. And it just tells me what to do. Breathe in, breathe out. Mm. It, it, and, and, but we often say I'm too busy for that. Or who hasn't got five minutes? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And same with exercise. All right, you haven't got time to get to the gym. I've started, you know, just going for a walk. So I go mm. for a walk every day. I go to the gym every day, but I also go for a walk as well. Mm. So I know if I don't get time to get to the gym, at least I've had a walk and – that's it can be as simple as that and with the nutrition stuff or you haven't got to go oh it's too hard to get on this crash diet whatever you don't need to be a diet it's just slight changes in in mm. your lifestyle or even as simple as not skipping meals mm. just as simple as having your meals and not i'll eat on the run you know just mm. go well make sure i have my lunch and my dinner and my breakfast Yep. And the same with sleep, you know, we, we all go through times where we, we don't sleep real well. But if you have a pattern, I'll go to bed at the same time every night. Yes. Mm. So not might not get to sleep, but it's it's all about that circadian rhythm, they call it, you know, mm-hmm. but that's yep. when the chemicals are released in your brain. And, and if you keep upsetting that, you're not helping things. So it can be real simple to build those things into your life. Um, and they do have a massive, massive impact. Mm. James, can we talk a little bit more about mindfulness because I think it still has that big stigma we were talking about and yet 
Mindfulness is something that we actually all practice on a day-to-day basis without even being aware that we're doing it or we're allowing ourselves to get distracted in those moments. So my husband has a lot of struggles with his mental health and we've done a lot of work on his mindfulness and I explained to him at one point and it finally really triggered for him and he understood it. When he's at work and he's thinking about only what he's doing at work, he's not thinking about the kids at home, he's not thinking about the bills to pay, he's not thinking about the dog to walk or whatever other pressure he has in his life. For him, that's his form of mindfulness because it's that time in his day where he's just narrowed in on the one thing and all those other distractions aren't there. So can you give us some other examples of where we're actually being mindful in a day we just don't realise that we have that opportunity? Perfect. And and you're exactly on the money there. I'll, I'll share a little bit more of um, how I came up with the mindfulness stuff. So for me, when I was off work and I wasn't, you know, I was, I was in a really bad spot. Um, for one, one day, for some unknown reason, I don't know why even to this day, but I thought I want to do a picture. Now, look, I've never really been into art or done art or anything like that. And I did. I did this this picture. And what I found was when I was immersed in that, I wasn't thinking about anything else. And um, art was a real big part of my recovery journey. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the pictures I did back in the day weren't, weren't real that flash. They were just getting emotions out. But what I found was I could lose a couple of hours, not really remember what I was doing. I was mm-hmm. just getting emotions on the paper. And as, as time's progressed, now I've developed, well, mindfulness for me can be different things at different times of the day on different days. It's like you say, it's that when you're just in the moment. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I might listen to music. Sometimes I might play music, you know, a guitar or something. Sometimes it's art. Sometimes it's when you're doing a job. I've got a task to do, whatever it may be, you know, some menial job or something. But I'm really going to focus on doing it. And it can be – people think you've got to go and sit under some tree and, and burn incense sticks, and, and it's not that. No. It's just – giving your brain just time to focus on one thing mm. and not letting it away with those things. Mm. So that's why I try to promote that. Find what it is for you or find a bunch of things what it is for you and and use it. Try and build it into your life mm. because it's really important. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to go off and meditate. It can be I listen to some music. Mm. It can be go for a ride on a motorbike or, or drive my car, sit at the beach, or I do a whole bunch of things depending where I'm at at that moment in time. But it's all mindfulness. Yes. And it's just being able to unpack that a little bit gives us an opportunity to make, particularly men who are traditionally a little shyer of these things, make them understand that there is room and space in your day, many times during your day, to practice mindfulness. Mm. And when we can block out those distractions and we can block out that negative voice that we all have, that when we're unwell, talks a whole bunch more than when we're very well, we give our brain that bit of space and time and pause and reset that mm. does keep us healthy. Mm. It's just drawing it's no <laughs> Yeah, it's no different to, you know, like physical side of things. You know, if you say you go to the gym and you're doing some weights or whatever, well, you've got to have a, put the weight down and have a rest yes. between sets whatever you're doing. Your brain's the same. You've got to give it a bit of a break. Mm. You can't just keep continually working it and expect it to function at a high, you know, level of of performance. Mm. It's no different to your body. But you know, you wouldn't run a marathon, cross the line, have a little sip of water, and run another one. But we expect (laughs) from our brain, you know, we expect that. We expect to just keep continually solving problems, doing things, thinking about things, and not giving it a break. Mm. And uh, we probably need to build that in to make sure we look after ourselves. Mm. Yeah. We need to be teaching this at schools. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got 
three teenagers, they're not learning this at school. And I know it's my job as a mum to teach them that, but how much better would it be for our children, the next generation, if they were learning at school rather than us not knowing until we're adults? And for many, it's far too late. Yeah. Absolutely. There are. I mean, I've heard of some schools um, building some of this stuff in and look at, Again, outside of work, I work on a number of, of projects and different groups and stuff. So I'm actually working with a um, group in the Brisbane North area at the moment, um, working on some stuff. And I've, yeah, I'm looking after the workplace side of things um, from an external point of view. But I, yesterday I took on, I want to look at the school stuff as well. Mm. Yeah. To what we can do differently in schools because otherwise we just continually keep churning out generation after generation and, and fixing the problem when we've got a problem rather than addressing how do we yeah build in mindfulness in schools, mm. yeah. understand well-being stuff. Uh, and I'm, it's really, you know, I've got two teenagers very close to my heart as well. Mm. You know, that they, we, we talk about this openly, yeah, that's cool, but do all their friends, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So yep. wouldn't it be good if that was just common knowledge? Mm. Yeah. it's It's been interesting. Uh, so my daughter's uh, been diagnosed with autism Uh a number of years ago and she turns eight um, in a week and a half and to help her with her anxiety as part of being you know high functioning uh, autistic she's been taught meditation and mindfulness from a kid's perspective um, yeah. and, and it's been really interesting as a parent teaching a child you know a four-year-old a five-year-old how to just stop and do some breathing to calm themselves down and and now she does it herself. It's just natural when she feels anxious or worried or, mm. you know, if, if her pet lamb is sick and she's feeling sad about it, she literally takes herself off and goes and does some breathing and, and looks at a tree and comes back and she's like, I'm okay now. And <laughs> it's just, it's natural for her. And it's like, imagine if, like you guys mm. are saying, you know, if we built that into just the, the kit bag of skills that we have as humans um, you know, what would society look like? What would social media look like? You know, it'd be very different, I yeah. suspect. Oh, I think that's a fantastic story, man. And, and yeah, thanks for sharing that because, um, like you say, it, it's when you can actually see the benefits from it from that point of view, it's I think it's awesome, mm. you know, because otherwise, what, what we see, you know, particularly with teenagers, they get through a lot of emotions and mm. hormones and whatever. <laughs> and if they don't know how to address that stuff, we see that come out, you know. Like, I see it at home. I've got a teenage boy, you know, and awesome fella. But, you know, he has these surges of, of adrenaline or whatever. Now, you know, he finds ways of, of coping with that now, which is cool because we talk about it. But imagine if it was built in that, okay, this yeah. is what's going on, you know, and, and give them a bit more understanding. Yeah. Um, yep. When you get a bunch of them together, all out and about, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's heck. Yeah. But I can't imagine I'm going, I'm going to go and do some breathing. We're not at that point. <laughs> well, maybe. Especially for teenage boys. But maybe part of it is making it cool. You yes, know? I mean, exactly. I look, at, I look at what some of the, um, you know, particularly in the CrossFit world, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Seal Fit, uh, James, but, you know, there's Navy SEALs teaching what they call box breathing. And it's dead set. It's just, it's controlled breathing. It's about calming the body and the mind and using that for performance. I mean, mm. if we make it cool, uh, then it's more likely to be picked up, particularly by the males. Um, yes. Because, you know, we, we uh, tend to need to look good to our mates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, and that's where it needs to come from, that angle and mm. that lens. Because, uh, if it's not seen as cool, yeah, then you're, 
you know, people are t- start taking a, you know, mick out of you or whatever, and then that raises the anxiety and that's yes. just in yeah, yeah, circle. Yeah. Yep, yep. We need, to, we need to get a hashtag going for like, you know, breathe like a tradie or something. Uh, <laughs> you and your hashtags. <laughs> I'm trying to be cool. Um, I, I wanted to get some, some action steps. I guess, you know, for – for listeners, whether it's husbands, wives, you know, doesn't matter. Um, what are some um, actions that people can take, James? Whether they're identifying with what we're talking about, or they're thinking, "Geez, I wonder if if my mates, uh, you know, maybe going through some stuff like this." Like, what are some broader action steps that people can take, James? Yeah. So for me, I would I always sort of advocate for Beyond Blue. Um, if you go on their website, you know, whether you're going through some stuff yourself, whether you're worried about a friend or a loved one or, or whatever it may be, there's a whole bunch of really, really good information on there that you can actually learn mm-hmm. what to look for, what to actually do, where to go. They've got a 24-hour helpline. Mm-hmm. Um, there's chat forums where you can go on there and talk to somebody if you don't actually want to talk face-to-face. There's um, there's videos on there. There's, there's a whole array of stuff. So. You can kind of educate yourself a little bit, and I needed to do that because I didn't understand it, and I found it helpful for me mm. to actually go away my own time and actually read a bit about this and go, oh, actually, yeah, that is happening to me. Here's some of the signs and symptoms. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe I do need to, you know, that was when I, before I went to the doctor, I went home and, and read a whole bunch of stuff. You can also use as a, as a bunch of resources. I wouldn't just Google anything because there's some unreliable stuff like that. So mm-hmm. look at your the yeah. sources, you know, Beyond Blues and, and your Black Dogs and, and those sort of organizations. Yep. But if you just need to talk to somebody, you know, like Lifeline, there's Men's Line, it's Beyond Blue. There's, there's numbers out there you can call, and you don't need to be at crisis point when you give them a call. Mm. Just give them a ring, and, and Lifeline have got a, a text line as well. I think that's open from 6 till midnight. If you just, I've been there myself, you just can't physically face talking to somebody. Yeah. You can just text somebody and, and, and they'll be able to talk to you. But do something is better than doing nothing. And that's from a lived experience perspective, yeah. you know, that the ignoring it or the I'll just get through it all, toughen up and man up didn't, almost didn't, you know, work out real good for me. And mm-hmm. thankfully, I got through it. Um, but now, like I say, if there's one little thing I'd say to take away is just go and read up on some stuff and educate yourself and beyond blues website is a good starting point that's a, it's an awesome place mm. yeah it's like uh, equip yourself for life by just learning some of those basic skills mm. james i just wanted to touch on one more thing just quickly a lot yeah. of men in particular have a real fear around talking and starting to express i guess i just wanted to get your take on that and and how to begin that conversation when you are in a not so great place yeah i suppose well you need to know who you can talk to first you know so you're going to know your close friends and, and if, if there's nobody you can talk to there then reach out to those those helplines but for me that biggest step is the hardest step and i even from time to time now and i'm not saying i've got the world sewn up so you just can't look at me like i'm a guru but <laughs> <laughs> um even now Sometimes I, I struggle with things and I think I just give Lifeline or Beyond Blue a call. Mm. And I struggle to pick up the phone because I, I think in my own head, well, you're like the mental health guy now, you know, you're doing mm. all this stuff. Mm. 
that's weak of you to pick up the phone and, <laughs> and I go back to those old old way and that's really I still from time to time find that hard um, so it's about then you sort of build in some stuff I've got mates and stuff I can I can call on who good mates you know who, who I can just say look you don't need to fix anything you need to do anything for me but this is where I'm at now can you just listen to me can we just have a chat mm. you know and and that's what you can use the, the lines for as well but like I said it it's not it's not easy and I'm not saying it is um so as far as that you know what you were saying there I'd just say fine you know you're gonna have friends you can talk to and if you don't there's always phone numbers you can give a ring and just just talk to somebody and worst case scenario you just hey I'll go straight to the doctors or I'll go straight to A&E wherever I need to go but you need to go and talk to somebody mm. that's the key mm-hmm. you know because there is help out there there is pathways to recovery and and with the right tools and skills you will get through it mm. you need help if I could just add into that um, just based on my own experience, sometimes it's okay just to say I'm in a bad place. And when you, it, it really won't matter who you're talking to, whoever it is that you're able to trust with that information, whether it be the person on the end of the phone, the doctor, your mate, your husband or your wife, will have enough tools to get you some help. And it's okay just to, if you can't talk, it's okay to say I'm just in a bad place, I need some help. Just take that first step. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't need to have the full plan and go. No. Okay, so then what's going to happen? And then what's going to happen? And that can be hard when you are in a bad place. But of uh, course, I guess it's just that that tiny little uh, opening mm. that that will allow change to happen. So, um, and that doesn't yeah. have to be scary or confronting. So, no, nah, and I, I like I just bring it back to the physical side of things. You know, that's what helps me get through it. Because I think if I broke my ankle. I'm not going to go, well, I'll walk it off because mm. I'm not going to, no. you know. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm in a bad spot, you know, if I break my ankle, I'm going to have to go and get that seen to. Mm. Otherwise, it's not going to be good for the rest of my life. Mm. And it's no different to if I'm not in a good spot in my head, well, I'm going to need to go somewhere just mm. for a bit of support and a bit of help to get me through this, you know. That's right. So that's, that kind of helped me when I, I bring those similarities in. Well, mate, uh, it's been fantastic to chat to you. I know we've been through a bit of a process to get to today. Um, yeah. So it's great to have you on the show, mate. Uh, I suppose, and you've mentioned Beyond Blue and a lot of organisations. Is there somewhere people can go and check you out or perhaps the work you're doing or is there a website you'd like to share or, or a social handle? Um, yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so that's probably where most of my stuff um, gets put. Yep. Um, so you can find me on there. Um and yeah, that's that's kind of where you'll see most of my journey and most of the stuff that I do. And if you do want to reach out and, and talk to me, by all means, drop me a message on that. Great, and we'll put all the links uh, to Beyond Blue and all those fantastic organisations in the show notes, um, mate. Uh, I just want to say thank you again. Um, Thanks, really grateful James. for your time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. It's been good. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Well, I really enjoyed that episode. I hope mm. that you did too. Um, I did. If that's brought anything up for you, though, we thought we'd close with the numbers that we referenced a few times there. The number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. That's a 24-hour number. You can call any time. Uh, they do have a text line. So if you just can't bring yourself to talk to somebody on the phone, you can text. It's 0477 13 
0477 13 11 14. I believe that's open just late at night rather than during mm. the day. So I think you he might said need six to. Six till midnight or something. Yeah, yeah. So usually uh, sitting on the couch, uh, tearing the hair out, wondering what the hell. That's right. Or uh, you've opened that bottle of Jim Beam and you're not sure where you want to go from there. Mm. Give him a text at least. Please do something. Mm. And then finally, Beyond Blue 1300 22 46 36. 1300 46 36. Please, guys and mm. girls. Yeah. Guys and in general. I meant that as a collective noun. Peeps. Just uh, say peeps and then they sound peeps. really cool too. Oh, hip. <laughs> I can't be hip. My kids are embarrassed when I'm here. <laughs> You're too old to be hip. I am. But please, please. Reach out. Just begin talking. If you're at that critical point, please have a conversation with someone, whether it be in person or via text. Let's start. Don't forget, Was and I are always here for you as well. Mm. We are currently helping a couple of members from our Trades and Business Facebook group that are having a bit of a hard time. Sometimes it helps to not necessarily know the person that you're talking to, just to have, it's not quite anonymous in this case, but a conversation with someone that you know that can help you, but you don't necessarily have to tell us everything. We don't need to know. We're just here to help. Yeah. And and for anybody listening that has suspicions or concerns mm. about someone else, and, and, you know, we're not talking suicide specifically, but just if you feel like someone's not right, not okay, not themselves, go and ask them. Yeah, please. Say, hey, are you okay? Mm. Like, seriously, tell me, dude, are you mm. okay? Um, and just start that conversation. So... Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, big shout out to everybody in our group for supporting each other. Uh, tradies in business on Facebook. Um, you know, we've got more than a thousand tradies in there and it's always really comforting to see that level of support. So mm. we just want to spread that, uh, that same support to, uh, to everybody out there in podcast land. So, uh, until next episode. Bye. You've been listening to the tradies in business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.